Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lynn Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports, mainly the NBA. Before I get into speaking about the NBA, before I speak about the storylines of the Western Conference, before I speak on the Golden State Warriors, before I speak on the Denver Nuggets, before I speak on the Eastern Conference, before I speak on the Boston Celtics, before I speak on Joel Embiid, before I speak on uh, the ineptitude, the embarrassment, the irrelevance that has become the Georgetown Hoyas basketball program, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train. Before I speak about the nonsense that's happening with the Alabama basketball team, before I get into all of those things, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, iHeart, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, download, subscribe, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Thank you so doggone much. And now I want to get into the reason why I, for the second week in a row, I guess, didn't do a podcast. Um, I know two weeks ago I didn't do a podcast. This past Tuesday I didn't do a podcast. The reason was because I was concerned about my moms. The reason was when I normally would be recording my podcast, I wasn't here. I wasn't in Las Vegas. I was back in Maryland. I was back in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Maryland-born, Maryland-bred. And when I die, I'll be East Coast and Maryland dead. But I was back home saying my last goodbyes to my moms because I I thought that um, she was going to die. Her doctors thought she was going to die. The nurses thought she was going to die. My cousin at first thought that she was going to die. So I went back home. I caught the red eye because I got a text while I was at work that 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 uh, Wednesday saying that uh, my mom was in terrible shape. She looked awful. She was breathing heavy. She had just a discomforting look on her face and it was complications from the surgery. So we thought that she was going to uh, just ease on out and be reunited with my dad and be reunited with her brothers and sisters and be reunited with my grandparents, with her parents. And I was all set already thinking about giving the eulogy about my mom, speaking about how wonderful of a person that she was, talking about how now she is being reunited with my father up in heaven, 
who were married for over 50 years before my dad passed away a couple of years ago or five years ago. How she's now with her brothers and her sisters who love her so much and she loves them. And the fact that she's with her mom and dad who haven't been in her life, who died so long ago that they died even before I was born. I have no idea, have no relation, wasn't even born when both sets of my grandparents died. So right now she's up in heaven telling them about me and all this kind of stuff. I was talking about a eulogy that I was going to give of a life of a celebration. Wasn't going to be times of sorrow and pain, even though I would be experiencing that, just like you would if you lost one of your loved ones, just like you would if you lost your mother. But uh, I was ready to give that eulogy because everybody was telling me that uh, it was only a matter of time that she was going to die, and it wasn't going to be years or months. It could have been days within hours. So I quickly took that red eye that night from Vegas back home to D.C. to the M.D., to the D.C. Washington metropolitan area to say goodbye to my moms. But lo and behold, guess what? She didn't die. She's getting better. And the only reason why she did not die, and the only reason why she is getting better, it's not because of the doctors. It's not because of the nurses. It's because of my cousin. My cousin who loves my mom to death. My, my cousin who has been a pediatrician, has been in the medical field for over 40 years, was the one who saw my mom in discomfort, who saw my mom in pain when she went to see her, and then went to the doctors and said, what the hell is going on? And went to the nurses and said, what the hell is going on? Because someone was supposed to be watching my mom, but no one was. So when she was in discomfort, when she was suffering, nobody was there. And the reason why my mom was in such discomfort and nobody was there, because when they moved my mom from the ICU as she was getting better to the next level up as far as the hospital is concerned, there's less nurses, there's less um, dotting the I's and crossing the T's, there's a lot less communication, there's a lot less um, structure. And the reason why they moved my mom from the ICU to the other part of the hospital, to a um, a, a more healthier part as far as people were getting healthier as concerned. They move them from the ICU to the next level up. The reason why is because they needed someone else to come in and take my mom's place. But unfortunately, in the rush to move my mom, they moved her too quickly. So some of the things and some of the stuff that happened during her surgery in terms of her trying to repair and heal and get healthier from the surgery was more exacerbated when they moved her away and did not receive the care that she was receiving in the ICU. And if it wasn't for my cousin, again, having 40 years plus in the medical field, coming in and seeing my mom like she was, and then videotaping with her phone for what my mom was like, my mom would have been dead. And I would have not known any of the wiser. Because I'm not a doctor. I, have, I don't know anything about the medical field. My mom's 88 years old. My mom has hypothyroidism. My mom has high blood pressure. My mom, again, 88 years old, just coming off of surgery, had um, blood clots, had double pneumonia. The doctors could have came to me very easily if it wasn't for my cousin and saying, Mr. Wallace, hey, you know what? 
She passed on out. Cardiac arrest, whatever. Blood clots, pneumonia, 88 years old. Other ailments. I mean, how would I would have known? I wouldn't have known to say, well, did you check the heparin? Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do this? I wouldn't have known any better. Because I would have put my faith in the doctors and the nurses because I don't know. But doggone it, it wasn't because... The, the reason why my mom almost died... It was because of negligence, but it wasn't negligence on purpose. It was negligence in the terms and the fact that, you know what? They should have been paying more attention to my mom, but because of certain situations, her age, her uh, other health complications, that they just assumed that she was going to move on out. And if it wasn't for my cousins saying that is some fucking bullshit, then it would have happened that way. And I wouldn't have been no more wiser for what happened. I'm telling you right now, man, in this whole situation, thank God she's getting better and thank God she's getting out of the hospital. Oh, and by the way, in Maryland, in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, in Montgomery County, the hospital that my mom went to, it's a very nice hospital. I mean, we, we ain't talking about a hospital where they're, they're treating folks from the ghetto. Or they're treating them folks who are coming in from gang-related stuff. Or coming in from the inner city or something like that. Well, we're not talking about that. We're talking about one of the more upscale hospitals in Montgomery County. In that part of Maryland. And they damn near almost killed her. Or my mom almost died under their watch because of negligence. How astounding is that? How alarming is that? If it wasn't for my cousins, because my cousin Kevin in San Francisco, who's an anesthesiologist, he's another one that had to get on some of their asses to be like, no, we're not doing that with her. We're doing this. So my mom had family in the medical field, which had experience of a combined 70 years. And they almost let my mom um, uh, move on, pass on to die. And it made me think, my goodness gracious, man, what, what's happening if with other folks what's happening with those who don't have who aren't lucky enough who aren't blessed enough to have the support that I have with my mom in terms of my cousin who came in and said you know what after she saw my mom in such distress after she saw my mom in such pain went up to the nurses went up to the doctors and said I am filing a formal complaint and this is nothing but negligence she used the n-word negligence code word for suing and what i learned is that when a when um a family member or whoever uses that word negligence in terms like that if you're a doctor if you're working at that hospital you must report that immediately if not you are fired you are fired on the spot if you hear a family member or a loved one or somebody uh, associated with that patient using that word negligence and you don't report it to somebody, then you are fired because what that hospital has to do immediately, whether they whether that person sues the hospital or not, no matter what kind of case that they have, they have to start preparing for that and it's going to cost them lots and lots of money on top of possible bad publicity. So when they hear that word negligence, they go above and beyond to make sure that that patient is taken care of. And that's exactly what happened to my mom in that situation. The care for my mom turned 180 as soon as my cousin came in with her 
with her uh, 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 suit and tie on, talking about negligence, talking about this is this is negligence. And I'm thinking to myself because she knows she knows what used to say, what what words to use. She knows how the game is played, and she knows how to get things done. So I'm thinking to myself, do you know these things? When you're dealing with your grandparents, when you're dealing with your uh, parents who are getting up there in age, who are getting up there in, uh, in years. I mean, what are we talking about here? These are the things that you have to know. This whole doggone deal has told me that, man, when you have a loved one, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your grandparents, whether it's your family member, and they're getting up there in age, if they go to the hospital, please find somebody who will be an advocate for that person going into the hospital, going into uh, your loved one that's going to be going into that hospital. Please have an advocate that will go up there right away and say, these are my credentials, this is what I'm talking about, and this is what's going to be done. I want to be involved in this, I want to be involved in that, I want to to know who this name is, I want to know who's going to be taking care of her, I want to know who's going to be doing this, I want to know who's going to be coming in for the night shift, I want to know who's going to be replacing you, I want to know this, and I'm taking names, and I'm writing this stuff down, and I'm letting you know right now that I ain't playing, and I'm letting you know right now that I know how the game is played, I know how the sausage is made, I know how this dance I know the tune to this song and I know the words to this movie so y'all better be on your P's and Q's because y'all know that I know what's going on that's the kind of nonsense my, my, my cousins had to be complete and utter assholes not because they wanted to it's because they had to because the minute you think that they're your friend or the minute you perceive them as being oh okay they know what they're talking about then something happens which happened to my mom, which luckily, again, my cousin had to go up there and raise holy hell because she was supposed to be, she was supposed to be supervised. She wasn't supervised. She went to the bathroom. She laid in her, uh, she laid in her urine as such for hours and nobody came around to clean my mom despite the fact that they knew my mom had soiled herself for two hours, two fucking hours. My mom was sitting in an excrement People at that place knowing that my mom was sitting in an excrement and did nothing about it. My cousin heard that shit and she went up there and she raised holy fucking hell. Guess what? They're treating my mom right now like fucking gold because they know if they fuck up, they know what's going to happen. My cousin don't play and my cousin knows the game. So I'm telling you right now, man, for all of you guys, for all of you gals with loved ones, I'm telling you, man, you know how they say the hospital is no place to get sick? And I don't want to hear some bullshit about the nurses are overworked and they're doing the best they can and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I know all that kind of stuff, but guess what? It don't mean shit if if my mom died. I wouldn't give a fuck if they found out, oh, because of negligence, my mom died. But that's okay, fellas, because I know that you're being overworked. Fuck that. I want my mom to live, just like you want your mom to live, just like you want your granddad to live, just like you want your father to live. Get it done. No fucking excuses. So my deal is this, man. Again, I'm not joking. This was a very eye-opening experience of um, what was happening to my mom. And again, at a very nice hospital, at a high-quality hospital, the way that she was treated. The medical field... I'm telling you, like my cousin said, is in such disarray. It's in such disarray. It's it's terrible. It's horrible. 
And again, I, I know the nurses are overworked. And I know the nurses are stressed. And I know the nurses are, I, I know all those things. I know the doctors and the nurses. I, I, I know a lot of them are doing the best they can. But how in the world can you tell me that you knew that my mom was sitting in the excrement, but yet still you guys did nothing? How in the world do you know that my mom needed attention and you did not give it to her when you needed, when you saw that she needed it? What, what, what's up with that? So that's ridiculous, man. So again, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm warning you, I'm begging you for those of my friends and for those who are listening to this podcast who have elderly loved ones. When you go into the hospital, please make sure that you get somebody who's an advocate who has been in the who has been in the profession, who knows the profession, because come on, man, if it wasn't for my cousin, my mom would not be here right now. My mom would not be living right now. My mom would not be getting better right now. My mom would not be going back to where she's living right now. And man, just the thought of that right now, I'm starting to right now. I'm starting to get a little bit emotional about that because, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, folks who have lost loved ones, you know, who have lost a loved one, whether it be, a parent or a grandparent, man, it's, it's never easy. It's never, never easy. You know, it's a pain that never goes away. It's a, it's an injury that never heals, even though you know this is the way of life. For someone who has lost a grandparent or for someone who has lost a parent, you know that, hey, man, that's just the way of life in terms of you don't want to go before your parents. It's just a natural evolution. Just like those who have children, you don't want you want to go before your children. You want to die before your children go, of course. And you want to live a long, healthy life. And you want to live a long, good life. But, uh, you know, no matter what the circumstances, you, you, you hope that you are going to be the one facing that situation to where I want my parents to go before I go. Because if I go before my parents go, that will be just doubly devastating for my parents. It's just a natural order in life. So, yeah, my mom lived 88 years if she would have uh, passed. Yeah, my mom lived an extraordinary life. Yeah, my mom would have gone out in some type of comfort. She wouldn't have had years of, of suffering and pain and those type of things. And, uh, yeah, when my mom goes, it's going to be a celebration because of the way she lived, the people that she touched, the children that she taught, the uh, people that she touched, the life that she touched. I know them. I've They've told me how much my mom means to them. I mean, they mean to uh, their children and such. I, I know all those things. So I know that if my mom can't get into heaven, none of us are getting into heaven. So I, I know all of these things to be true. Oh, but man, I was not ready for my mom to go. And uh, I thank my cousin Donna and I thank my cousin Kevin for saving her life. And I'm telling you, man. Oh, mm. <laughs> damn, how about this? Getting emotional like a mug. Um, yeah, man. Uh, if uh, you have a loved one, please, man, just just make sure you have some backup. Um, and uh, make sure you have some backup, and uh, make sure you have an advocate, someone who knows what they're doing, man. Because it makes me think twice about what happens um, to our elderly uh, when they're not. Uh, sufficiently taken care of in a place where they're supposed to be getting better. So, uh, yeah, man, that's the last. This is the last time I'm going to be speaking about my mom on one of my podcasts and uh, and getting emotional. A little, sorry, getting emotional like this and everything. Um, this is the last time I'm going to do it, man. So, uh, 
you know, moms, I love you. And um, I'm not ready to uh, live life without you because you're the last person I got. I don't got kids. I don't got a wife. And my dad died five years ago. So it's just, and I don't got brothers and sisters, uh, blood brothers and sisters. So, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> shit. Uh, I love you, moms. And uh, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that you're still around. And I want you to be around and forever. So. I love you, moms. I love you. All right, let me give my tribute. Let me do my thing. Let boys to men. Men express the way I feel about my mama. And uh, then let's uh, let's talk about some sports. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, I'm good. I'm good. Let's go ahead and talk about some. <laughs> let's make that uh, transition, shall we say, and let's talk about the sports. Let, let's, let's do something to uh, pick us up. Let's do something to uplift, uplift us. Let's, let's do something uh, that I love doing, which is talking about what's happening in the NBA. Talk about my Halle Berry. Talk about my Layla Roshan. Take, talk about my Jada, not Jada Pinkett. Talk about my, uh, talk about my Monica Bellucci. Talk about my Selma Hayek. Talk about, talk about the love of my life in terms of sports associations are concerned. Um, the NBA here to stay. Interesting because, you know, moving up now. To March. This is the. Uh, I'm recording this on the 27th, so on Monday evening. As I'm watching, uh, who am I watching over here? I'm watching Baylor play Oklahoma State, and I'm recording this. And uh, so this is going to be out Tuesday, which is going to be the last uh, day of February. And man, February went by fast. Woo! Did it go by fast? Black History Month went by so doggone fast. Yes, Black History Month where white folks actually have to kind of sort of, you know, like pretend like we care for a little bit. So, you know, it'll be like, look, man, we did some stuff for you in February. What do you expect for us to do the rest of the 11 months? Treat you equal? Jeez, unbelievable. Joking, sort of. But, uh, yeah, man, they gave us the shortest and coldest month of the year. Congratulations. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> Speaking about, uh, yeah, so February went by fast. And the, and the reason why I'm saying this is because um, with the NBA, it's, it's interesting when you think about the NBA and you think about those who are just solid NBA fans. I'm not speaking about casual NBA fans. Let's just speak about those who are solid NBA fans who like the association. 
when you think about it, and you're an all-around sports fan, you love the NFL, you love Major League Baseball, you like hockey, you're, you're into the NBA, college football and such, the, the NBA really had a small window where it's the star of stars. You know what I mean? Because when the season starts, you get the first week, you get the first week and a half, the NBA free pass, league free pass, this, that, and the other. The NBA is back. Everyone is happy. Everyone who's excited, that's an NBA basketball fan. So they watch, but you know that during that time, we're dead smack in the middle of the NFL season and dead smack in the middle of college football. So the NBA is taking the back seat, and the N- the NFL is king. And even compared to college football, college football is king. And I'm not just talking about uh, cities in the Southeastern Conference or in Columbus, Ohio, or in Ann Arbor, Michigan, or in Auburn, Alabama, that's the SEC Conference, my bad, or in Clemson, South Carolina. I mean, it's a situation where college football is a bigger bigger deal in this country than the NBA. And so for the most part, when the NBA starts, yeah, for us who are glad that their favorite sport is back, their favorite league is back, is wonderful, that's great, but we're still paying attention to what's happening in the NFL because it's, you know, it's right in the juicy part of the season. So it goes on. The NFL is not going to be over one until February. So for the most part, the NBA maybe starts in November. Then it kind of goes away for a little bit. Then you have December 25th, one day where it's just dedicated to uh, the NBA, the Christmas games. And then it kind of fades away again, back to football. And then when the NFL season ends, people are mourning about that being over. So they go and watch a little bit of the NBA basketball for a little bit in February during the dog days of the during the NBA. But then you have the All-Star break and then you have March Madness. And in a few, I guess what you can say, probably in about a week and a half, somewhere around there, college basketball is going to be the king the only time that college basketball is going to be the uh, the king in the month in the month of uh, March for three weeks or so when you're speaking about the conference tournaments and you're speaking about the NCAA March Madness. The, the college basketball is going to be king and the NFL is just going to succeed, recede to the background. So it's interesting, and again, once the college basketball season is over, the NBA is going to kick back into things, and then they're postseason is going to start but then you're going to have to be contending a little bit with baseball and I wouldn't mention hockey but hockey really is not a real player in terms of the 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 viewership in terms of the numbers in terms of the competition once the NBA playoffs starts to go along with the Stanley Cup playoffs despite many people talking about how wonderful the Stanley Cup playoffs are and how it's the most exciting playoffs and all the sports and all these type of things. Yeah, if you're a puckhead, I guess you can say that. Yeah, if you're from Montreal, you can say that, even though they haven't been in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs for the longest of time. Yeah, you can say that if you're from Calgary. Yeah, you can say that if you're from Edmonton with Connor McDavid. Yeah, you can say all those things, but for the most part, NBA rules when it comes to the playoffs in the lower 48 here in North America. So the NBA will have that little window again until June to be the star of the show. So really, when you think about the NBA, man, it's, it's really finite times when it's going to be uh, uh, in the spotlight, when it's going to have the spotlight. So now, with less than 20 games left to go into the season, we are on the final push 
to see what's going to be happening when the playoffs start in April, which is going to be about six weeks away, and the NBA becomes the star attraction, the star of the show. So when you check the current standings, as I did today, Monday, and you'll have the top 16. I want to start first with the um, I want to start first with the Western Conference because I think the Western Conference is the more intriguing conference. I think the Western Conference is the more competitive conference, and I think the Western Conference is the more uh, is going to be the more entertaining conference to watch when the playoffs start. So I'm going to uh, use this segment to start talking about what's happening in the Western Conference standings. And you take a look at the top six teams and you take a look at the number one team in the uh, Western Conference being the Denver Nuggets with a 42-19 and record. The number two seed being the Memphis Grizzlies with a record of 36-23, and five games back. The Sacramento Kings. The Sacramento Kings. Those Sacramento Kings. For those who didn't have the opportunity to see the Clippers play the Sacramento Kings the other night, that game was off the chain. That game was unbelievable. That 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 score reminded you of an all-star game, but yet and still, those guys were actually sort of trying to play a little bit of defense. It was a game that meant something. I forgot what the final score was. What was it, 178 to 177, some nonsense like that? That game was one of the best games that I've seen in a little bit of time. Malik Bunk almost having 50 points coming off the bench. Kawhi Leonard scoring 44 points. Paul George doing his thing. The debut of uh, Russell Westbrook and all the minutes that he got. That game was unbelievable. De'Aaron Fox playing well. Sabonis uh, doing the thing until he found he fouled out. The game was nuts. The game was off the hook. But the Sacramento Kings under Mike Brown who isn't getting the recognition I think that he deserves because, um, I mean, how, how is it that he's not one of the contenders, not leading contenders, but how is he not being mentioned for coach of the year? If you take a look at the track record of Sacramento over the past decade plus, if you take a look at the owner of uh, the Sacramento Kings, Vivek Ramadive, and you speak about some of the nonsense that he's been doing to uh, have that, franchise going to such a losing spin for so many years the fact that Mike Brown has come in and the Sacramento Kings are where they are right now Mike Brown should be getting some type of recognition for a coach of the year and I'm not saying that because many people think he looks like me so the Kings are in third place right now again seven games back of Denver with a record of 34 and 25 fourth place Phoenix Suns Talk about Phoenix a little bit later on in the podcast. 33-28, nine games back. Kevin Durant has not played yet, but the lurking, sleeping giant known as the Phoenix Suns, the newly reconstituted Phoenix Suns, lurking about be, uh, being nine games back of the Denver Nuggets, only two games back of the Sacramento Kings, and only four games back of the Memphis Grizzlies. Coming in fifth place, the Los Angeles Clippers, 33 and 29, nine and a half games back over the uh, uh, from the uh, Denver Nuggets. Of course, the acquisition of Russell Westbrook, long term. And when I say long term, I'm talking about this season. I have no idea how this is going to go. I have no idea how this is going to play out. And neither do you, and neither do you, and neither do you. Russell Westbrook, break glass when in case of emergency. The fact that the Clippers did not like John Wall, the fact that the Clippers did not like Reggie Jackson, the fact that the Clippers didn't like any of their point guards, they didn't like any of their point guards so much that they went ahead and got Russell Westbrook, and now he is the guy. 
that's out there playing major minutes for the Los Angeles Clippers. What does that mean for this season heading into the playoffs for the Clippers and their chances of um, being a dark horse and making it to the NBA Finals or at least pulling an upset, beating a higher seed? Sixth place in the Western Conference. The final spot for the play for for a playoff spot. The Dallas Mavericks. 32 and 29, 10 games back. Bad loss. Terrible loss. Horrible loss on Sunday to the Los Angeles Lakers. Man, when I fell asleep, I woke up the score was they were up by like 20 something points. Lakers came all the way back to beat them. Jarrett Vanderbilt, is he the new Lucas stopper? Something tells me that next time that they play, Luca's going to try to go for 80 against that guy. But um, it was an eye-raising game, if you could say, to say the least, if you're a Dallas Maverick fan, because we're, we're waiting to see this improvement as far as the acquisition of uh, Kyrie Irving is concerned. And I saw Luca out there, and so did Jason Kidd, because he, he he called them out in the post, uh, post-game conference, saw a lot of immaturity, saw a lot of frustration, Saw a lot of anger, saw saw a lot of bewilderment, acting out of character for that most part. Luca is going to be, um, Luca is, is always going to be expressive. Lucas is Luca is always going to be emotional. Luca is always going to wear his emotions on his sleeve. But as Jason Kidd correctly said, I thought that Jan, Jared Vanderbilt got into his head, and it led to frustration, and it led to Dallas blowing that lead. Now the situation becomes: Well, what about Kyrie Irving? They're still learning each other. They're still getting together with each other. What does that mean for Irving? What does that mean for Luka? What does that mean for the Dallas Mavericks moving forward? Look, I'm not going to base off on one game say the the Dallas Mavericks are in trouble. But we knew going in, we knew going in that even with the acquisition of Kyrie Irving and everything that he brings from an offensive standpoint, from the offensive talent that he has, and even with Kyrie being on his best behavior because he's going to want to do everything to try to get that Supermax contract, which is going to pay him $40 million a year. So he's going to try to con somebody into thinking that, oh, Kyrie has been on his best behavior. Oh, Kyrie has been a wonderful teammate. Oh, Kyrie hasn't said anything stupid. Oh, Kyrie haven't asked, hasn't asked for any time off. Oh, Kyrie hasn't like done some head-scratching, neck-turning, eye-raising, eye-rolling, head-scratching type of move. Kyrie's going to be on his best behavior for the rest of the season, no matter what happens in Dallas. Dallas could implode. It won't be because of Kyrie, because Kyrie is playing to get that money. So Kyrie is going to be a great teammate. Kyrie is going to be the one when someone falls down underneath the basket from the Mavericks, he's going to be the guy that's going to sprint over to help him up. He's going to be the guy that's going to be given extra depths. He's going to be the guy that when he's not playing and they call a timeout, he's going to be the first one off the bench to congratulate his teammates. He's going to be the one that's going to be clapping and cheering when he's not playing and sitting on the bench. He's going to be the guy that in the interviews is going to be saying all the right things. He is the guy that's going to be giving out autographs and kissing babies and shaking hands and being wonderful and thoughtful and all these things. Do not 
fall for it if you're the Dallas Mavericks because you know what's going to happen. You know this man's track record. You know the procedure. You've heard this song before. You've seen this movie before. You know what's going to happen once Kyrie, if Kyrie can snooker Mark Cuban into giving him a Supermax contract. Luca will be out of there within three years or at the very least, Luca will be saying, get me out of here within two years if you sign Kyrie Irving to a five-year Superbex contract. I'm telling you, he'll have the coach fired and he'll have Luca wanting to get the hell out of here to join his buddy down in uh, uh, Orlando, the coach of the uh, Magic, who was uh, good friends with uh, Luca when he was the assistant coach with uh, Dallas, uh, Mosley. So if you're the Dallas Mavericks, don't do it. And I'm not saying that, again, based off of what we saw yesterday against the Lakers, or, yeah, Sunday against the Lakers. It, it's a situation where, man, this is, it, I, you don't have anybody who's going to play any defense. You don't have anybody who's going to play defense on that team. Luca can't play, who, Reggie Bullock and, uh, and, and Green. Those, those are going to be the two guys that you are going to be counting on to play, to play defense. Come on, man. That's not going to be good enough to get past Denver. That's not going to be good enough to get past Phoenix. That's not going to be good enough to get past Los Angeles Clippers. That ain't, that ain't going to be good enough. So then what is going to happen moving forward with the Dallas Mavericks? Are we going to see similar type of implosions? And where was Kyrie when all of this was going on? Where was the leader? Where was the 1A player? Where was the guy that was going to say, Luca, don't worry about this. I got it. Where was that guy? Where was the guy who's supposed to be the champion? The guy who's supposed to be wearing the rings to know how this stuff is done? The guy who learned from LeBron James. Where was that guy on Sunday? Because Kyrie, I didn't see you. I didn't see it. Don't give him that. Don't give him that max contract, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now. So, we take a look at the first six teams in the Western Conference. We take a look at the Denver Nuggets being number one. We take a look at the Memphis Grizzlies being number two. We take a look at the Sacramento Kings being number three. We take a look at the Phoenix Suns being number four. The Los Angeles Clippers being number five. And the Dallas Mavericks being number six. The play-in game, Minnesota Timberwolves. Ooh, bad loss to the, um, bad loss to Golden State yesterday. 31 and 32. The Warriors now 31 and 30. They're in eighth place. Minnesota is, no, Golden State's in seventh. Minnesota's in eighth. The Utah Jazz, 30 and 31. How is it that uh, the coach for Utah isn't being considered for a coach of the year? I, I, yeah, I know that he's sitting one game under 500, but right now with 61 games, the, 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 the Jazz are hoping that they'd be something like, I don't know, like like 15 and 46 or something like that. Not 31 and 30. They, they, they were trying to get in the Wimbledon sweepstakes. What's up with that? New Orleans. Remember a little while ago, New Orleans was near the top of the standings or the number one team in the Western Conference. And Zion Williams was playing, and he was averaging about 26 and a half points per game. And he was an unstoppable force. Remember those times? I don't. Do you? Because... The New Orleans Pelicans, they are fallen down to number 10. So if you take a look at the playing games, you have the teams being Minnesota, Golden State, Utah, and the Pelicans. Very interesting. On the outside looking in, we have the OKC Thunder, record of 28-31. and 31. They're 13 games back. The Portland Trailblazers, Dame Lillard scoring 71 points, an efficient 71 points. 
against the Houston Rockets. Don't put an asterisk because they were playing Houston. 71 points on 38 shots. What 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 in the Steven Silas is going on with the Houston Rockets? I don't know whether to be so mesmerized by the performance by Damian Lillard or the fact that if you're at Houston, you can let one guy score 71 on you like, like they did. So, interesting. So, Portland is in 12th place. They're 13, in, they're 13 games back. The Lakers coming in three straight. Yeah, I'm going to get to LeBron. I'm going to talk about LeBron. Going to be out for a couple of weeks after that foot injury. Anthony Davis playing well. Um, the trades... At the or the, the trade that the makers that the Lakers made at the uh, trade deadline seem to be paying off, but uh, yet and still, man, they're in, after everything is all said and done, they're still outside of the playing tournament, looking in, and then teams that are playing for Victor Wimbignana, the San Antonio Spurs, they're fourteen and 46, 27 and a half games back, and then of course the Houston Rockets, thirteen and 46, 27 games back in the Western Conference. So let's just take a look at some storylines, man, here on Wendell's World of Sports with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could see us, man. Because I mentioned again, the NBA playoffs are like six weeks away. So what are we talking about here? Should Denver, are we still believing in Denver? What do you think about Denver? Is Denver just a playoff, as a regular season team? Can they get the job done in the playoffs? The Nuggets have been in first place since December 20th. They've gone 22 and 8 cents. Yeah, I know it was a bad look being blown out by Memphis. But yet and still, man, Denver, at least on paper, they're good. They should be considered one of the elite teams of the NBA. They should be considered championship material. They're 7 and 3 in their last 10. They have the best player in, in the conference playing his best basketball with the best team he's played for. I'm speaking about Nikola Jokic going for a third straight MVP. I mean, you're talking about a guy here in Jokic who would join Larry Bird, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell at the only player to win three consecutive MVP awards. Bird is the only one to win three in a row in a determined, uh, when the votes were determined by the media. Players back when uh, Chamberlain and Russell were playing, uh, the players voted for him. Here's something. Let me, let me just, let me just kind of just, just, just go off the beaten path for just a quick second. The players used to vote for the MVP, right? 1961-1962 season, Bill Russell won the MVP award. That was the year that Wilt Chamberlain averaged 50 points a game, 27 rebounds a game, and scored 100 points in one game. Now, I, I, I have no idea if it was just because Wilt was so damn good that other people, that the other players were just jealous or biased or whatever. But how in the world, and I know Bill Russell is Bill Russell, I understand that. But but how in the world can you not give the MVP to a guy who averaged 50 points a game? Who scored 100 points in one game? Who averaged 48 and a half minutes per game? Who averaged 27 rebounds per game? How could you not give that guy? That's the most incredible statistical uh, season in NBA history. I can't think of anything. I, that, that would be almost the equivalent of in baseball, of some guy batting like not just 400, but like 445 or some nonsense like that, in 600 at bats, that, that that would be the equivalent of a pitcher who went like 37 and one with a 1.4 ERA and not winning the Cy Young. 
That that would be like Patrick Mahomes throwing for 7,000 yards and 100 touchdowns, including 15 touchdown passes in one game, and still getting beat out by Joe Burrow. Like, what? How in the world did that happen? And here's another thing that's just mind-blowing. Not only did Chamberlain not win the MVP that season because Bill Russell won it, in the MVP voting, which was voted on by the players, Chamberlain came in third. <laughs> the voting was Bill Russell number one, Oscar Robertson number two. I think that was the year Oscar won a triple-double, but back then no one was given a damn. No one even heard of a triple-double. So that wasn't the impetus for them to vote for a Robertson anyway because the triple-double at that time didn't exist. So you're trying to tell me that a guy who averaged 50 points a game, 27 rebounds a game, played 48 and a half minutes per game, scored 100 points in one game, is not even the best player? He's not even the second best player? Man, I don't know what was happening in 1961, 62 with the players, but that should have been like, all right, all right, we're 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 done with the players' vote. We're we're done. It's ridiculous. So that was let me let me get back on the road here and continue talking about that was my was one. I was just like my one. You've got to be kidding. When I was uh, taking a look at that, like Chamberlain didn't even win the MVP that year, and the man averaged 50 points a game. They give it gave it to Bill Russell. Wow, wow. So yeah, so Jokic. Getting back to uh, Denver and the Nuggets trying to, uh, you know, reach expectations, which right now should be to make it to the NBA Finals. They are one of the handful of teams, I'm thinking about three or four teams, that should be favored to win the NBA championship. Am I wrong by saying that? Are you wrong for thinking about that? And outside of an appearance in the NBA Finals or in the Western Conference Finals, if the Nuggets do not win an NBA championship this year, would that be considered a disappointment, not just for the Denver Nuggets, but also for Nikola Jokic? Again, a guy who has won three straight MVPs, but has yet to play in an NBA Finals, who has yet to make it to a conference finals during that time he was the MVP, I believe. So so, so what's up with that? Where are we going with that? This season, he's averaging 24 points, almost 25 points per game, 11.5 rebounds and 10 assists, shooting 63% from the field and 39% on three-pointers. This guy is a seven-foot center. He has a team around him that's good enough to win the Western Conference. If you think about um, the, 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 the parts, I, I always say, look, we, we know what we're getting from Jokic in the playoffs. We know we're going to be getting an outstanding performance from Nikola Jokic in the playoffs. I think for the Denver Nuggets to move on and have a real shot of winning the NBA championship, it's going to come from Jamal Murray. It's going to come from Aaron Gordon. It's going to come from Michael Porter Jr. But 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 yet and still, I think the key to the victory or the key to Denver winning a championship is going to be the play of Jamal Murray. He returned to action against Cleveland after missing a couple of games with a right uh, with a right knee soreness. This season, he's averaging 20 points, six assists per game this season. We saw in the bubble, pre-ACL injury, how devastating and how clutch Jamal Murray can be. We're not asking, if you're a Denver Nugget fan, we're, we're not asking for that Jamal Murray to come on back. That Jamal Murray might not ever come back after the knee surgery or the knee injury that he had. 
we, we might not even need to see Jamal Murray at a top 20 type of player. But if Jamal Murray can continue to play at the level that he's playing at right now, go into the playoffs relatively healthy, and be that number two guy, not that number one B guy, or not that number one A guy. I'm not talking about that. I, I, I'm not talking that Jamal Murray has to be a Robin to Nikola Jokic being uh, Batman. I mean, if he could just be somewhere between Alfred and Batgirl, or if he could just be Batgirl, I think the Nuggets have a real chance. I think the Nuggets have a real shot because that Jamal Murray can be good enough along with the other surrounding pieces to get the Denver Nuggets into the NBA Finals. Because if you're speaking about a tight game, if you're speaking about setting up an offense, if you're speaking about an important game, the priority number one is going to be, of course, Nikola Jokic. But number two is going to be Jamal Murray. It's not going to be Michael Porter Jr., the person who's going to be making the big plays, the person who's going to be making the important decisions on the basketball court during crunch time, the one who's going to be taking the big shot if it's not going to be Nikola Jokic, the person who's going to be orchestrating a play to get somebody an open shot or to get the ball to Nikola Jokic in advantageous positions for him to score. It's going to be Jamal Murray, which is the reason why I say the Nuggets are going to make it to the NBA Finals. The Nuggets are going to uh, to uh, reach the expectations. It's got to come from Jamal Murray. It's got to be with Jamal Murray. And he's been getting better in the months of January and February. He averaged about 24 points in February, including scoring 41 against Atlanta, 33 against Golden State in back-to-back nights. And in January, he averaged 22 points per game on 14 in 14 games. So it was a decent... Uh, sample size, shooting 48% from the field and 45% from the three-point line. That, Jamal Murray, is good enough to get the Denver Nuggets into the NBA Finals. And that, Jamal Murray, is good enough if Nikola Jokic still plays at the level that he's playing at for the Denver Nuggets to win an NBA championship. You have Aaron Gordon, you have Michael Porter Jr. playing their roles very well. Gordon, no more three-point shooting. No more trying to masquerade as a small forward like he was trying to do in Orlando. The chemistry between Jokic and Gordon has been fantastic, both on the court and off, which has helped solidify them even more potent when they're on the court. Um, as a guy who's, I could say, doing the old-school dirty work in terms of rebounding, in terms of the uh, rim runner, in terms of being that force, in terms of having that athleticism around the glass, around the paint, that's now Aaron Gordon's game. His athleticism is good enough. The game has been transitioned enough where, to where he can be a power forward and really make a difference. And again, not worrying about shooting three-pointers and not worrying about isolation plays and worrying about taking guys off the dribble. That's mainly for Michael Porter Jr., who's averaging 17 points a game and is being a strong third option. A guy who in the playoffs can get you a 30 point game. A guy who for a quarter can uh, can go off and get you some things. So look, Denver had the best record in games played between the top six teams in the West with six games remaining against the top five. So there should be no reason why A, Denver shouldn't be the number one seed in the Western Conference and B, why they shouldn't be the favorites to win the uh, Western Conference championship. The, they, the Nuggets have the biggest um, league, the biggest home 
row differential in regards to point differential per 100 possession, and 13 of the remaining 23 games are on the road. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What about Phoenix? What do you think? Yay? Nay? You heard my podcast last or two weeks ago. You you, you heard what my thoughts and feelings about the Phoenix Suns are. Should they be considered to uh, win the uh, championship? Should they be considered favorites? A team that was constituted, put together so quickly at the trade deadline in terms of bringing in Kevin Durant and the fact that Durant still has not played yet now, word on the street is that he's going to be playing, making his debut on Wednesday against Charlotte. But Durant, I mean, you know, he's averaging 30 points per game, shooting 55% from the field, averaging 7 rebounds per game. Missed the game on Sunday against the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. So did Giannis, a game that uh, Milwaukee won 104-101 because uh, Drew Holiday played a uh, fantastic game with 33 points. But let's talk about Phoenix. I want to get your thoughts and feelings about Phoenix in terms of, yeah, on paper, they're talented. And, yeah, unlike a lot of teams, when... They get that superstar, how they gut some of their important role players. I mean, we saw that with the uh, Brooklyn Nets when they went ahead and got themselves uh, James Harden and when they got themselves Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, some of the pieces that you see now doing well playing for other teams. We, 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 we've seen that before. Now, with this squad, you still have DeAndre Ayton. You still have Landry Sam. You still have other players on the bench that can contribute. And when you're speaking about going into the playoffs, and you're speaking about the rotation being cut to where you're only going to be playing seven or eight guys with majority of those guys getting major minutes. It's not going to be a situation where it's the Phoenix Suns of Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and then six or seven minimum wage guys. It's not going to be that at all. They still have a team complementing those players that are good enough to win a championship. The key is... With only 20 games left to go, and when Durant returns, we're speaking about what, going into the teens? How quickly can the Phoenix Suns get themselves acclimated with Kevin Durant returning to the, uh, or returning to playing basketball, this time for the Phoenix Suns, starting on Wednesday? How is he going to mesh with uh, Devin Booker? Now, yes, I understand that they played in the on the Olympic team um, not too long ago. And this year, Booker is averaging 26.5 points along with five assists and four rebounds. And I know that he's one of the, um, you know, the elite players in the NBA. And the fact that now he's going to be, I don't know, maybe not the second banana, but a guy who's going to be 1C, 1D. 1D minus in terms of the importance and the role that's going to be played, the responsibility that's going to be uh, played. Kevin Durant is a solid number one. Now for Phoenix, he's going to be the best player on that team. He's going to be the guy that's going to start to stir the drink. He's going to be the one that's going to be cooking the food on the court. He's going to be the one that's going to be determining what's going to be happening with the Phoenix Sun from a basketball standpoint on the court standpoint. But still, Devin Booker is the guy now who showed that he could be that guy to be the best player on a team that could play for a championship when he did so a few years ago against Milwaukee. Now that Devin Booker, who I think is better now than he was a few years ago, now this guy is not going to have to have that responsibility, which is going to make him more potent. Now you speak about in a playoff situation where you're going to have either Kevin Durant, DeAndre Ayton, or Devin Booker or Chris Paul on the on the court at 
uh, at, at some point in the game. So you're going to have a bona fide star, you're going to have a bona fide superstar, you're going to have a bona fide big man, and you're going to have a bona fide uh, point guard playing uh, playing on the court at some time. It's not going to be a situation where, you know, it's the start of the second quarter or the beginning of the fourth quarter that you're going to have a chance to uh, do some things if you're the opposing uh, team because the star player is going to be resting on the bench, i.e. the Kola Jokic when uh, he went to the bench uh, last season for the Denver Nuggets, i.e. the Dallas Mavericks when Luka would go to the bench before the Mavericks got themselves traded for uh, Kyrie Irving. That's not going to be the case now with Phoenix. 48 minutes of, forty-eight minutes per game, you're going to be dealing with some type of problem in the terms, in the faces, in the player of Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Chris Paul. But then again, we take a look at Chris Paul. Missed 28 games. Averaging almost 14 points per game and 9 rebounds. DeAndre Ayton averaging 19 points, 10 rebounds per game. What are the expectations for the Phoenix Suns this year? Right? Because we're, we're, we're dealing with the now. I just read you these stats. I just read you everything. What should be the expectations for the Phoenix Suns this year? A team that came into this regular season in some degree of disarray. If you speak about the offseason that the Suns had concerning DeAndre Ayton, when you take a look at the relationship that DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams had, when you take a look at that whole deal, when you take a look at Chris Paul again, injury-prone, missing 28 games, when you speak about the Phoenix Suns middling for most of the season, now they get that injection of Kevin Durant. What should be now the expectations? Is it too early? with only 18 games to have the Phoenix Suns all of a sudden now be NBA contender, championship contenders. What should be the expectations for the um, for uh, Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns? We're going to have to see. We're going to have to see because we really can't talk about that right now because why? The elephant in the room, Chris Paul and his injuries. How is it that every single solitary year, it seemed like over the past five or six or seven years, Chris Paul suffers an injury which causes him to miss games in the playoffs or causes him to uh, not be the same guy in the playoffs? How can a guy who last year saved the bacon for the Phoenix Suns in the first round against the New Orleans Pelicans and then played so well in the next round against the Dallas Mavericks, except for in game six and seven, disappeared off the face of the earth. And then the speculation was, well, did he have COVID? Was he injured? This, that, and the other. There's something going on. Why does that Chris Paul always show up at the wrong time? Why does that Chris Paul always show up like at the end of game five or game six? Was it game five? It was in the game five when he was playing with Houston. And Houston was taking the 3-2 to two series lead over Golden State. And at the end of that game, near the end of that game, what happened? Chris Paul tore his hamstring. And because of that, Houston lost Game 6 and Game 7 to Golden State. There's always some type of injury. There's always some type of calamity coming with Chris Paul during the playoffs. What happens if that happens this season with this team, with Kevin Durant, with, the, uh, with Devin Booker? Yes, they'll be able to withstand it a lot better. But what will that mean when they start moving forward and playing some of the more elite teams in the Western Conference? And again, what is going to be the expectations for the Phoenix Suns? I think that the Phoenix Suns are not 
going to win the NBA championship. I don't think uh, Phoenix is going to make it to the uh, Western Conference Finals. Because, again, I just think the injury possibilities of Chris Paul is too great. And I don't think that these guys have had enough time to mesh, to blend together. Um, and not I'm not just talking about just the star players. I'm talking about the role players. I'm talking about the coaching staff. I'm talking about all of these things. I just think it's too early. I just think that there's not enough time for Phoenix to really be considered that favorite when you're speaking about them, uh, you know, getting Kevin Durant and all of a sudden that changes the entire equation. Now, next season, it's going to be a whole different story. When they're going to have a full training camp, when they're going to have a full year together, next season is going to be the season where Phoenix should be the favorites to win a championship, regardless of what happens with Denver, regardless of what happens with Golden State, regardless of what happens with Memphis. The Phoenix Suns next year should be that squad that should be favorites to win a championship, regardless, moving over into the Eastern Conference, what happens with Milwaukee, what happens with Boston, what happens with Cleveland, what happens with Milwaukee. Uh, yeah, so 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 there we go with that. So, yeah. Let me ask you a question. Um, can the defending champions repeat Golden State Warriors playoffs? You know they'd be in the playoff games. You know they'd be in the uh, playing games. The season ended today, right? Yeah, I know. I know the season did not, doesn't end today, but still, about twenty-four games remaining. The Warriors are five hundred, which is one game behind the uh, sixth-place Mavericks in the standings. They're seven and twenty-three on the road. Starting lineup of uh, Stephon, Stephon, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, Kevin Looney. They have a record together of fourteen and thirteen. So even when the starting five who won their championship is on the floor, it doesn't mean that all, all of a sudden they become dominant. Now, yes, they're fantastic at home. But if they're in the playing game, they're not going to have home court advantage. And with their road record being abysmal, I mean, do you think that they could turn that around? Will the Warriors be healthy enough to realistically le- repeat? When you speak about Stephen Curry being out since February 4th, dealing with partial tears and two ligaments in his lower leg and having no timetable for his return, even though after evaluation say he's getting better, he's getting better. Okay, he's getting better. What does that mean? Is he getting better by 5%? Is he getting better by 20%? Is he getting better enough to where he's going to be able to uh, play the final 10 games of the season? Is he going to be fine enough to where he won't miss the regular season? What What exactly? That's a vague definition to say that he's getting better. And yes, Maybe the doctors right now cannot give us a distinct timetable on when he's going to return. But still, time is a run is short for Stephen Curry. The team acquired Gary Payton, traded with the Sacramento Kings for Gary Payton to try to uh, shore up their defense. And Payton now is expected to miss at least a month due to an abdomen, uh, a, a stomach injury. Screw you. So Draymond Green is out because of a right knee contusion. Andrew Wiggins is going to be out indefinitely because he's been dealing with a family matter. He signed that fat contract and has played in only 37 of 59 games this season. So so what's up with the uh, Golden State Warriors? Les Kevon Looney has been a leader in that locker room and playing better defense and playing and rebounding and playing well. Klay Thompson looked like that he had regained a lot of uh, what he was before, taking the ball to the hoop more while still... Uh, maintaining that sweet stroke from the outside, but 
What does it mean for the Golden State Warriors moving forward? What does it mean if Stephen Curry is not going to be at least 80-85% moving forward? DNA, championship DNA, knowing how to win, that's great. That's, that's awesome. But it don't beat talent. It does not beat talent. It's not going to beat the Nuggets. It's not going to beat the Grizzlies. So what's going on with the um, uh, Golden State Warriors moving into the um, playoff spot, moving into a chance to play in the playoff spot? Is Jordan Poole ever going to step up and start earning the money with that fat contract that he uh, that he signed? Jonathan Kaminga, how much can you rely on him in the playoffs? I mean, that, that that's a wild card that we don't know anything about, but he's going to be getting an opportunity in the playoffs. And again, it comes down to the injuries. Andrew Wiggins. Did we see the best of Andrew Wiggins last season? And uh, we just can't trust that guy right now. It's going to be interesting to see that moving forward. And I want to end this segment with the New Orleans Pelicans because I am looking for a Zion. I am wondering, where is Zion? What has happened to Zion? Can you trust Zion Williamson? Because if he can come back and play and get back to his stature or near the stature that he had before he got injured. The New Orleans Pelicans are a formidable foe with C.J. McCollum, with Brandon Ingram, even though the Pelicans should not have fallen off the cliff as much as they should have, just based on the loss of Zion Williamson, especially after how well they played last season compared to how well they're, how well they're not playing this season without uh, Zion, Herb Jones, and those guys. So, you know, when, if Zion can come back and be 70-65% of what he was before he got injured, then the Pelicans should also be talking about as one of the dark horse teams that could do some things. But man, I ain't seeing it. Because Zion hasn't been around, hasn't played since January 2nd. He's expected to be out a few more weeks after a uh, setback in his... Uh, Set back in his um, uh, rehabbing from injury, and now the Pelicans are seven and fifteen without him. This this is quickly looking like um, if if you speak about draft bus, it's not at the level I think of Jordan and Bowie, or now uh, can we say Luca and um, Luca and uh, Trey Young? I'm not, or or Luca, or or or, or Luca. More importantly, Luca and Marvin Bagley Jr. We're not talking about that in terms of it might be looking like that type of a bust. But if John Morant continues to play like he's like he's playing, and Zion Williams continues to miss games like he's missing, this is going to go down in a situation where it might be similar to Greg Oden and Kevin Durant, to where yeah, the no brainer at the time was Greg Oden because you selected big man. But it turns out to be that Kevin Durant was the correct answer. Moving into that draft with Zion Williamson, yeah, a once-in-a-generation type player, there you draft him. But John Moran is going to turn out to be the guy who might take that mantle in terms of being the best player from that draft away from Zion Williamson and be one of the best players in the NBA in two, three, four, five years, if he's not already at that level already. And Zion, in the glimpses that he's shown us, can be that guy who's dominant, that can be that guy who can be considered one of the best players in the league, but he can't stay healthy long enough. And what did I always say going into the NBA with Zion? We've never seen this type of body type. We've never seen this guy. 
We don't know what his playing weight is. We don't know what his ideal playing weight is because what was the deal? So much girth, so much, um, um, so much weight on this guy. While it might be muscle, while it might be genetic freakness, you know, the, the explosiveness that he plays with, that he showed at Duke. How long can this continue at the weight that he's playing at when he goes into the NBA? And at the time, we were thinking he was going to be playing at least 75 to 78 games per season. How long can that be kept up with the amount, with the amount of weight, even if it's all muscle, that he has on them bones? Before those knees start getting bad, before the lower back starts getting bad, before the feet start getting bad, with his explosiveness and with his weight and, his, and the way that he plays. How long is this going to last? And right now we're seeing not very long because the explosiveness is there when he's healthy, but he's always getting injured. He's played in just 40% of the team's games and missed six of every 10 games. Since joining the Pelicans, he's played in 114 of 287 games over the last four seasons. Again, can you trust Zion Williamson? Are we start, should we be starting to give up on Zion Williamson? Because, look, man, again, the, the talent is tantalizing. We, we, we saw that in the first part of the season. Where you think you'd be crazy, the thing about trading this guy. Or you'd be crazy, the thing about not building a team around this guy. But again, you can't help the club if you've always in the tub. And with these injuries, why does it always take him so long to come back from these injuries? And what is he going to look like when he comes back from rehabbing and getting back over these injuries? And is his lack of preparation, is his, his lack of due diligence, is that one of the reasons why he can't stay healthy? Or is it just because, look, the man is just too damn big to be playing basketball 75, 68 times in, 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 a, in, a, in a season? He's just, his body just isn't built for that. Is that going to be the case? So we'll see all the other things coming out. Uh, Dark Horse is Sacramento or Los Angeles. The Clippers, Kawhi Leonard is back. Uh, the Clippers and Paul George, um, uh, with uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard playing together. Potent is good to see Kawhi back to being the player that he was pre injury. I was kind of worried about that due to his age, due to the as, as many games that he's missed. But, um, you know, if there's going to be one team. This is not based on the Westbrook acquisition, but I think if there's going to be one team, if you were to pick that might upset the capital cart, it could be the Los Angeles Clippers. So if you're speaking about a dark horse coming out of the West, causing an upset, doing some things, whether it be the Clippers or the Kings, you're speaking about a champion in Kawhi Leonard, not once but twice, who won the uh, MVP of the NBA Finals. I think it could be that guy. So, yeah, man, the Western Conference is something else. It's awesome. It's exciting. It's fantastic. And uh, it's only going to get better and better and better and better. A special dedication to those who listen to this program from across the nation. From the heart and soul of Wendell Wallace, you have my greatest respect and admiration. Wendell's World and Sports is a podcast like no other, made for the listening pleasure for my sisters and brothers. My passion for the sports happenings of the world today overflowing. My skills and talent will always be showing a king like bernard my podcast will be held in his highest regard hope that my listening base will be reached 
from near and afar. My episodes in this greatness are like that of Tom Brady's. My podcast is great for all the fellas and ladies. You say my podcast isn't the best? Man, you must be crazy. Holding up the Champions Cup like the Tampa Bay Lightning hold up the Cup of Stanley, sacking the competition more times than Dexter Manley, I will deal with the fools and haters quite handedly and quite candidly. I'm that damn good. So please, stay in your lane. What I'm doing, you can't be a partaker. If you even think about missing with my show, in the words of The Undertaker, you will rest in peace. Wendell's World in Sports, download, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, enjoy anywhere, anyway, anyhow, you listen or watch your favorite podcast. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hello, hello, hello. Speaking about what is happening in the NBA, we spoke about the Western Conference. Speaking about some of the storylines in the Western Conference, let's now move to the Eastern Conference in the NBA because uh, while it might not be as exciting or intriguing or as... uh, has as many questions at the uh, Western Conference. It's still a conference worth worth, uh, talking about spending some time on. Of course, when you take a look at the top six teams in the conference, of course, the Milwaukee, uh, the Boston Celtics, atop of the heap with a 43-17 record. Milwaukee coming in second, a half game back of 42-17, probably playing the best basketball in the NBA right now, winning 14 straight games. Philadelphia, tough loss. To the Boston Celtics, they're 39 and 19, three games back. Number four, the Cleveland Cavaliers, six and a half games back. The Brooklyn Nets, 34 and 25, eight and a half games back. The New York Knicks, rounding out the top six teams, 35 and 27, they are nine games back. And you take a look at the play-in game, the number seven seed Miami Heat, 32 and 29, 11 and a half games back. The number eight seeded. Uh, Atlanta Hawks, who now have Quinn Snyder as their coach, 30 and 30, 13 games back. The Toronto Raptors, 30 and 31, 13 and a half games back. And oh, yes, the last team playing for the play in game right where they want to be. My Washington Wizards, 28 and 31, 14 and a half games back. Outside looking in, the Chicago Bulls, 27 and 33. They're the number 11 seed. They're 16 games back, along with the Indiana Pacers. 27 and 35, 17 games back, and the Orlando Magic, 35 and, I'm sorry, excuse me, 25 and 36, 18 and a half games back. And then we have the Victor Wimbignana sweepstakes, which include the Charlotte Hornets, 19 and 43, 25 games back. And yes, the Detroit Pistons, 15 and 46, 28 and a half games back. So, Eastern Conference storyline for the rest of the season. Look, we took a look. 
we, we, we were speaking about with the Western Conference, we were speaking about teams like the Golden State Warriors, Dark Horse Los Angeles Clippers, Memphis Grizzlies, who are up and coming uh, a, a team to be reckoned with in the uh, Western Conference, the surprising Sacramento Kings, and of course the Denver Nuggets, who are, despite having the best record in the league and having possibly, arguably, the best player in the league, still not considered the, the juggernaut the overwhelming favorite. Man, we haven't even spoke about maybe some, some teams on the outside looking in. So, unlike the Western Conference, in the Eastern Conference, if you take a look and you say to yourself, okay, let's take a look at Boston, let's take a look at Milwaukee, and then who are we taking a look at? And we're speaking about contenders for real in the Eastern Conference. Outside of Boston and Milwaukee, who do you have? Who can you believe in? Who do you think can beat either one of these squads? Do you think it's going to be the Philadelphia 76ers? Now, Philadelphia, again, another blown lead and a loss to uh, Boston. Jason Tatum hitting a clutch three-pointer top of the key, 110-107. I believe, was that the score? 110-107. Joel Embiid's 70-foot heave being waved off at the buzzer because clearly he let it go after the horn had sounded. But uh, I'm just not believing in the 76ers just yet, despite the fact that they might have the best player in the league, and by certain, I think they have the most most physical dominating player in the NBA. It's, it's always interesting when you take a look and you try to compare Joel Embiid and uh, Nikola Jokic, two of the top three or four players in the NBA, and you're trying to decide, okay, which te- which which player would I want on my team? Which player? do you think should be considered having that moniker of the most valuable player or the best player in the league? And, 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 that, and what does it mean? What's your definition when you say dominating? When I say dominating, I say that Joel Embiid, when he does not want to be stopped, physically there is nothing that you can do to stop him. There is nobody in the league outside of Steven Adams that can that can slow down, that can stop Joel Embiid from from getting to where he is just based on sheer sheer girth and physicality. And we saw that in the game against Boston with poor Al Harford trying to do everything humanly possible to stop Joel Embiid from getting to the basket. And all you could do was foul him. Now, Horford on the other end uh, made up for it because he hit like five three-pointers in the fourth quarter to help Boston come back and win that game over Philly. But the, the, the wild card in anything, when you're speaking about the Philadelphia 76ers and their success and why they will have success or what would be the reason for the success, it won't be so much James Harden. It won't be so much Tyrese Maxey. It won't be so much any of those guys. It's going to be the determining dedication as far as dominating the game that Joel Embiid has had. That mentality that I'm the best player and I'm going to show you that I'm the best player and doing it with consistency night after night after night and not sustaining an injury that plagued him the first couple of years that he was in the NBA. Joel Embiid is the most, it's it's almost like, hey man, you know what? Again, I, I come back to this. Who do you prefer? Do you prefer Monica Bellucci? Do you prefer Selma Hayek? Do you prefer Halle Berry? Or do you prefer Vivica A. Fox? Does it, it's, it's almost a situation where do you like, uh, do you like filet mignon or do you like ribeye? It's almost like a matter of you can't go wrong with either one. Depends, of course, on which 
who you're going to build your team around. When you're speaking about that discussion of who is the best player in the NBA or who would you rather have on your team, Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid? Because Nikola Jokic is going to give you a triple-double every single time. Nikola Jokic is going to shoot 60-65% from the field. Nikola Jokic can do so many things. He's the most talented, offensive, big man, all-around skills that maybe the game has ever seen. He is this generation's Bill Walton. He's this generation's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the way that he thinks the game and the overall skill, passing, shooting, thinking on the game. He's Bill Russell, excuse me, he's Bill Walton and he's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in that regard. But on the defensive end, there's some issues. Now, he's not a sleeve. He's not as bad as he once was. But as far as a rim protector... And as far as uh, guarding people, being physical, using the physicality, that's not Nikola Jokic's cup of tea. On the other hand, if you're speaking about Joel Embiid, and you're speaking about a guy, again, using his physicality, there is nobody that can stop Joel Embiid with possible exception of Steven Adams. Of, of, uh, there's nobody who's going to impede the pathway for Joel Embiid if he wants to get there. And he'll take you and he'll take everybody else to the top floor of the mountaintop and then push you over as he's dunking the basketball through the rim. There is nobody. There is nobody. So how much do you equate to that in terms of both on the offensive end and the defensive end when you're speaking about who would you rather have? You can't go wrong with either one when you're trying to decide between Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. You can't, go, you can't go wrong with either one. Because either one, you're getting a dominant force. They just do it in different ways. Doesn't matter if you're getting Cherokee Dash or Jada Fire. Oops. Uh, <clears throat> what I'm saying is that you'll have a good time with either one. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. But with all of that being said, and me speaking about the, the dominance of Joel Embiid, I still don't believe in the Philadelphia 76ers in terms of being a real threat to the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks. It just don't. And it, it really has nothing to do with the past performances of James Harden. And yes, the, 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 the storybook is there. Yes, it, it's, it's there. And it's written in stone. It can't be changed. It's it just this team, they just don't know how to win. And I think with the Celtics, and I think with the Bucks, they do. Cleveland, I just don't believe in. I think that they're too young. And after that, what, do you think that the Brooklyn Nets or the, or the New York Knicks are going to do anything? I would have more faith and trust in the Miami Heat than make some noise going up against Boston and Milwaukee than I would either Brooklyn or Cleveland or the Knicks. And I don't believe in Miami either. So it's it's going to be a situation coming down to is it going to be Boston, or is it going to be Milwaukee? Man, Milwaukee's got a squad. 14-game winning streak. They beat um, Phoenix the other day. Now, Phoenix didn't have Kevin Durant, but guess what? Milwaukee didn't have Giannis. Giannis has suffered a knee injury. He's also dealing with a wrist injury, and it really doesn't make a difference. The only thing that it hurts is Antetokounmpo's MVP chances. But Milwaukee right now is rolling because Drew Holiday is playing like a mug. Brooke Lopez is providing that back-of-the-line defense. Chris Middleton is rounding into shape. I think the acquisition of Jay Crowder is going to prove great dividends as a guy who is a pseudo-3-and-D type of player 
When I say pseudo, I'm not talking about, I don't think that he's elite, but I think that he's good enough. I think that you have to honor his three-point shot enough to where it can open some space for Holiday to penetrate, to Giannis to, for Giannis to do his thing. You know, now to do some of the guard combinations, uh, the, 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 the guard combinations for Milwaukee, the shooting guards, does it worry me a little bit? If you're going to have to rely on crunch time, having Grayson Allen or yeah, Grayson Allen or Pat Cunnington or Wesley Matthews in the game, yeah, it kind of bothers me a little bit. Yeah, it gets me kind of nervous. Um, a shot creator, as great as Giannis is, we've seen that in the postseason. You know, I think his outside shot has gotten a little bit better. I think that he's been more consistent from 12 to 15 feet. Um, as far as shooting the basketball is concerned, shooting those elbow jumpers. Uh, sometimes do I cringe when he shoots the three-point shot, especially early in the uh, possession? Yeah. But Giannis, as far as being a two-way player, he's the best player in the game. Make no mistake, Luka might be the best offensive scorer along with KD. Jokic might be the best offensive all-around player that we might see along with uh, Luka. Uh, Joel might be the most dominating player. But in terms of offense, defense, and what he gives, I think Giannis is the best player in that regard in the game today. And while he still can't hit a jumper on a consistent level to save his life, I still think that he's a guy that, uh, you know, I think that he's one of the best two-way players in the game, if not the best player in the game. You put him in there again with Jay Crowder to open up the floor. You put him in there with Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, along with the defense that's being supplied along with the three-point shooting of uh, Brooke Lopez. We got something here if you're Milwaukee. And that's the reason why they've been so dominant. They started off great. They were playing 500 basketball for a lot of the part of the uh, season with the offense looking uh, looking, looking nasty in a bad way. But now they've come back and they've played well. So do you like Milwaukee or do you like Boston? Man, I don't... Mm-mm. Jason Tatum started off the season MVP. That cooled down a little bit. But Jalen Brown is back. A lot of the injuries that the Celtics have had this season, Robert Williams is back after missing the first part of the season because of a knee injury. He's back to uh, getting back in the shape of being the uh, rim protector. Marcus Smart is back. He missed some games because of injury. He's a guy at the front of the snake in terms of being the defensive guy. Jalen Brown, facial injuries. He's playing well, wearing a mask because of that. Role players like Malcolm Brogdon and especially Derek White has played their roles extremely well. Derek White, with the absence of uh, Jalen Brown in the games where uh, Joe Mazzulla, the coach of the Celtics, wants to uh, give some uh, rest to um, Jason Tatum, he, he's played very well. Derek White has been absolutely invaluable. Against Philly, he scored 18.7 of nine shooting, a rebound, two assists, a block, no turnover in 25 minutes. Boston with plus 25 in those minutes. He can be. He has the ability to hit that three-point shot. Brogdon playing at his own speed. Brogdon playing a heady game of basketball. Brogdon fitting into the uh, Boston Celtics way of playing playing the game. He's been great. He's been he's been very good. He's been valuable, invaluable to that team along with uh, Derek White. So, you know, as I mentioned before, man, the East is just. The, the, the East is, is just going to come down to, um, I think, three teams. And I think one of those teams, being Philadelphia, is going to give either Boston or Milwaukee a little bit of a struggle. 
But I think in the end, it's going to come down to uh, Boston and uh, Milwaukee for the uh, Eastern Conference Championship. And that's going to be uh, home court is going to decide a lot. Injuries at that time is going to decide a lot. Uh, How is Middleton going to uh, be regaining his form moving forward in that degree? Um, How is Giannis going to bounce back from the injuries that he's had? Um, of course, the Celtics with their with their questions. Joe Mazzulla being the first-time coach. How is he going to be coaching in the playoffs? How much of a determination is Boston going to have after losing in the NBA Finals with that chip on their shoulder? How much is Milwaukee, as far as a chip on their shoulder, how much are they going to have in terms of many would argue that if it wasn't for an injury to Chris Middleton and Jason Tatum going nuts, in game six, that the Milwaukee Bucks would have been the NBA champions next uh, last uh, season, not the Golden State Warriors. So, yeah, man, the Eastern Conference shaping up for a uh, interesting, interest. I say that with all, all my breaks. Interesting, interesting, interesting. But believe me, in the Eastern Conference, the Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks, that series, you get, you got it. It's going to be quite interesting. Well, I'm the jibber, jabber, mature like shabber. Frank's making banks, operating like trapper. John and me, yeah, that's what folks tell me. I plan on going far and be a star like Marcus Welby. So there, there, uh-huh. You so yes, I mix the ruckus, causing ruckus like Menudo or Judo. I gets it, I throws them when I gamble. And when I swings my thing, I take a swing like Mickey Mantle. But um, I got more flavors in a pack an hour later. Beg your pardon, Mr. Cooper, but I love vanilla wafers. See, I got it going on because of the songs that I write. I got it going on because my crew is not hype, but I sit them, I stand them, I brand them like Zorro. I shop at Dagasino for a bag of Stella Doro. Red sticks, oh yes, it's the books was three of my cousin's crazy, lazy, a blitz and tea. Because we're just a bit, that's on the mic. Because we're just a bit, that's on the mic. Because we're just a bit, that's on the mic. Just a bit, that's on the mic. Last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad. That you could be with us. I'm going to get back to doing my shows every Monday and every Tuesday, man. Don't worry about it. I'm, um, I got my uh, routine down, and I'm feeling great, and I'm rip, and I'm roaring, and I'm ready to go. Um, college basketball. I used to love college basketball, but it took the adeptitude of Georgetown to figure out why I love college basketball. When I was a young guy growing up, Dreaming of playing for John Thompson in Georgetown or playing for Lefty Drizelle in Maryland. Yeah, I mean, it was the reason for me to fall in love with the game of basketball. Bernard King, Albert King, Larry Graham, Patrick Ewing, Gene Smith, Michael Jackson, Michael Graham, Horace Brock, Reggie Williams, Bill Martin, all of those guys. Man, of course, of course, of course, along with Magic Johnson and the Lakers and such. Of course, that embedded me. Of course, that was... uh, uh, what got me hooked, addicted on, on on playing basketball and really being a huge basketball fan because I, I wanted to play for Georgetown. So that's the reason why I love the game of college basketball so much. I wanted to uh, play either at Maryland. I wanted to play for Lefty Drizelle. That's, what, that's why I loved, at the beginning, the sport of college basketball. And then, of course, as I got older and reality set in, and I said, despite the fact that I think Bobby Winston ain't any good, I'm not going to be playing basketball for the Georgetown Hoyas. Uh, I still maintain my love for college basketball because of my love for 
Georgetown. And I thought that that was just a, I thought that was a, a situation where they were going hand in hand in terms of, yeah, I love college basketball and I love my Georgetown Hoyas. Now, over the last couple of years, I have realized that my love for college basketball was solely based on my love for the Georgetown Hoyas. Now, there are other things that has contributed to my lack of caring as much as I did with college basketball. Yes, the fact that I'm older, the fact that players now are one and done, the fact that uh, there are no more super teams, the fact that now that with the European explosion, that you have a lot of guys now who are ruling the roost that didn't play college basketball. So, yeah, there's so there's some other factors that lead into my being apoplectic about the game of college basketball. But still, man, it was just like, wow, it was all about Georgetown. It was all about how good Georgetown was because subconsciously, I would watch other teams. My, my love for college basketball dealt with after my basketball playing days were over. My love for college basketball was mainly dealt on, okay, now how does Georgetown stack up against this team? Okay, now is Georgetown as good as this team? Okay, why isn't that guy playing for Georgetown? How did we not recruit that guy to go to Georgetown? So it was everything was Georgetown-centric. I could watch... I could watch a Big 12 basketball game. I could watch a Pac-12 basketball game. I could watch a WCC basketball game. I could watch a Mountain West basketball game and somehow, someway, have Georgetown be the determining factor on why I'm watching this game. Why am I watching Gonzaga play St. Mary's? Why am I watching Gonzaga play San Francisco? Why am I watching UCLA play USC? Why am I watching Arizona play UCLA? Why am I watching New Mexico State play... uh UNLV. Why am I watching these teams? Why am I watching these games? Because I'm thinking to myself, Georgetown this, Georgetown that. Everything had a Georgetown slant in my subconscious I didn't even know about. So now the fact that Georgetown stinks, now the fact that Georgetown is irrelevant, now the fact that Georgetown is an embarrassment, now the fact that Georgetown is a joke among jokes, because now the fact that Georgetown is one of the worst teams in Division One basketball, high major uh, conference basketball because of that my joy for watching college basketball has gone down the tubes for the last couple of years my love of watching college basketball has not been a one of love it's been one of pain joy and pain frankie beverly baby but it's that's the way it's been i can't watch a college basketball game now because i get too upset I can't watch a college basketball game now. I get too depressed. I can't watch a college basketball game now. I get too angry. Because I'm watching these teams play and I'm like, Georgetown does not even compute. Georgetown does not even come on the radar. Georgetown is irrelevant. Georgetown is a joke. How do we get to this point where Georgetown watching Oklahoma State play Baylor knowing that Georgetown would not have a chance in hell? Chance in hell. To uh, be competitive against these teams. How can I watch a team in Houston who has been hovering around the number one spot in the top five ranking all season long with Kelvin Sampson coaching that team? How can a team like Houston be so much more of a better program than Georgetown? It's not even funny. I just can't do it. I can't bring myself to watch. It's just too painful. It's just too painful for me to do it. So Georgetown, when I watch Georgetown, and it's like watching a, a car wreck. I've, I've, I've become numb to their ineptitude. I've become numb to their losing. I've become numb. Again, it used to ruin my day, even as an adult. 
I would like to think as an adult, someone in his 40s, someone in his early 50s. It used to, not this, Georgetown hasn't been good since I turned 50, but back when I, back, back in 2014, 2015, 2016, 2012, 2010, 29, 20, all, back in those days, a, a loss of Georgetown, it would bother me. It would kind of ruin my day for like four, four or five or six hours. It used to get me kind of upset. It used to get me kind of in a sour, dour mood. I'd be walking around with my head down, looking like a chump, thinking to myself, Malcolm and Mal- Malcolm and Martin and Medgar died for this, so you could walk around with your head down looking like a chump? But I just couldn't help it. I loved the program so much. I loved what JT3 was doing so much. I loved Georgetown. It was in my blood. I couldn't help it. Now, Georgetown loses. It is like big fucking deal. I remember I could not miss a Georgetown basketball game. I don't care where I was. I don't care what I was doing. I don't care if Beyonce came over butt-fucking-naked and said, let's get it on. I would be not, not if Georgetown's playing. Of course, I'm being facetious, but you know what I'm saying. Georgetown was a big deal for me. You know, Cherokee, Jay the Fire could come over and be like, Wendell, I want to set your loins on fire. And I'd be like, not, not, not right now, Jada. Georgetown playing Marquette. Can't do it. Now, after the game, let's, uh, you know, let's go to town and let's get around and let's get on down. But as of right now, you know, before I, you know, I can't, can't do it right now. So before me and Cherokee do our thing for like, I don't know, maybe three and a half minutes. What can I say? Um, it's just a matter of, I gotta, you know, I gotta watch my Georgetown Hoyas play. But, um, not anymore. Not anymore. And it's sad. And it's sad. So, they lost to Providence on senior day, 88 to 68. Around 7,000 people showed up. Worst senior day loss for them since they lost 77-54 to Notre Dame in 2000. You know, I got this from the Associated Press. Georgetown has now lost 13 straight games against AP Top 25 teams dating back to a surprising 2021 Big East, turn- uh, Big East Tournament uh, Championship. Hoyas have also lost their last 11 games at home to ranked opponents, last beating then number 25 Creighton in January of 2020. How irrelevant has this program become? The Washington Post has stopped covering the Georgetown beat after covering the team for over a century. Reporter Kareem Copeland, who was good, loved reading him when he was speaking about Georgetown. His last byline story on the Hoyas was January 4th. He's now covering the Maryland's women's basketball team. For road games, the Post no longer relies on the Associated Press to cover the or, 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 or press coverage at recent games. Georgetown has been ignored by the local and national college media. The website The Hoya, who I used to go to, has its last active story from the UConn game in February of uh, this year. The paper does not even publish same-day coverage of games as the Georgetown Voice occasionally does. We haven't heard anything from any of the administrators. The AD hasn't said anything. Ewing's last external interview was held in August. He's posted once on his social media account since November 12th, which he was talking about uh, the death of Louis Orr. That same period of time, Providence head coach Ed Cooley, he sent over 70 Twitter messages to his followers in the past 28 days. And that's not even including retweets. What are we doing as a fucking program? 
I'm on Instagram. I got this bullshit Hoya stuff going on. That ain't enough. That's not enough. Oh, we're a joke. Oh, we're a joke. I saw them play uh, on Providence, as I mentioned before. I just laugh. I just laugh at these guys. And the thing is, they're playing hard. But I don't think anyone plays harder than Brandon Murray. I mean, he plays hard. You know, these guys care. Jay Heath, these guys play hard. But it's like they're not coached well. They don't play together. Their offense, I don't know what the fuck that they're doing. They're not developing any players. Their talent level is not good enough. And it's just a situation where, look, it's it's, it's just it's just depressing. It's just horrible, and it's just sad. So that's my thing about the Georgetown Hoyas. Real quick, did you see the story as they get out of here about um, the Alabama basketball program? And uh, let me see, February 2nd, police say Alabama star Brandon Miller delivered a gun to former teammate Darius Miles before shooting and murdering a female on January 15th. Nice job, bro. Way to keep it real. Former Alabama player Darius Miles and another man, Michael Davis, keeping it real, are facing capital murder charges for the shooting. Miles was removed from the team the second after he was arrested. Oh, that's pretty good. Not not uh, not really a good look to have a murderer on your team. Davis is accused of shooting uh, a female, while Miles has admitted in court records to giving Davis the gun for the shooting. His, your parents must be very proud. Community must really love you. Per AL.com, police said in a preliminary hearing that Miles sent Miller a text message to bring Miles a gun to where the shooting took place. Miller's car was hit twice by gunfire during the shooting. At least 11 bullets were fired on a busy street corner in front of a popular bars, clubs, and restaurants, most of them by Davis. Can we can we put this motherfucker underneath uh, underneath the cave, underneath the uh, prison, please? Police say later. Uh, police uh, said Leonard told them. Let me see. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay. That his excuse was he was drunk on tequila and he didn't recall anything that happened. Okay, well, how about this? Um, hopefully, when you get slashed in prison, maybe you won't remember that either. Maybe when you're getting gang raped in prison in about the thirty fourth thirty fourth year. That you'll be in prison, maybe you won't remember that either. Miller has not been charged with a crime for allegedly bringing Miles the gun. So why is Miller still playing? Well, of course, he played in all 27 games for the number two ranked team in the country. And he's the team's leading scorer with 19 points a game. And he's projected to be a likely lottery pick in the 2023 NBA draft. So this fucking moron, when he's being announced, comes out there and he's in he, uh, as far as the pregame ritual Saturday against, uh, who did they play? Was it Arkansas? Whoever they played <clears throat> at home, of course, he got a big cheering ovation. So he comes out, and part of the pre-game ritual is him being patted down. So this fucking ass clown comes out there, and this guy pats him down. Uh, just, 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 just. All right, I'm out of here. I don't need to speak about this anymore. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast. As always, do me a favor, download, subscribe, rate, and review the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Be good to each other. Treat each other with respect, love, peace, unity, harmony, all of those things we need to do. Get me out of here with some music. Music.